This is a podcast by Householders Options to Protect the Environment, Hope Australia. We are a community environmental education and capacity building organisation based in Toowoomba, South East Queensland, Australia. This is a podcast in the series Eco Social Work in Australia. It was produced for Hope Australia in Toowoomba, Queensland, on and adjacent to the traditional lands of the Jarawa, Guyabal, Yugara and Waka Waka peoples. Hope pays respect to the past, present and emerging leaders of all First Nations people in this country and acknowledges the unique contribution that their cultures make to contemporary Australia. Hello, my name is Andrew Nicholson and I am the producer of the Eco-Social Work in Australia podcast series. The experience of the use of love and a love ethic within eco-social work practice has already been introduced by a previous guest in this series. Because these topics have been garnering considerable interest within the eco-social turn over the last few years, I wanted to seek out further professional perspectives on the use of love by other leading eco-social work thinkers. My guest on this episode of the series, Dr. Deanne Ross, is a social work academic, researcher and author who has continued to focus on and help elaborate the place of love in social work practice over the last 20 years or so. In fact, she goes so far as to say that exploring the ethic of love has been her life journey and work. As with wider eco-social work approaches, the use of love in social work practice has been slow to appear on the mainstream social work radar, but is now finding a greater audience of practitioners willing to explore and adopt its precepts. And Dr. Ross's work has made an important contribution toward that adoption. In our discussion, Dr. Ross talks about her abiding interests in the importance of love and a love ethic for social work practice and how a growing ethos of lovelessness for other people, non-human animals and nature is a strong underlying causation of injustices and lack of ecological sustainability for the planet as a whole. The social work profession has an important contribution to make in helping right some of these wrongs, and we discuss the particular benefits that love-based approaches can bring to this important task. Dr. Ross, welcome. It's wonderful to talk with you today. Hey, thank you so much, Andrew. And after that introduction, I was sitting there thinking, oh, is that actually me? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Um, So I hope to do justice to your great introduction of me. Thank you so much. Let's start the conversation by if you just introducing yourself more fully. Give us some of the highlights of your very extensive professional history. Also, some insight into how your abiding interest in the social work use of love and a love ethic developed. I can't get very far in introducing myself, actually, without coming to my work as a social worker. And this in itself says a lot about me. For more than 45 years, I've been a social worker, and this career choice was hardly surprising because I grew up in a working-class family in a housing commission house packed to the rafters with 10 of us, and there are always a dog or two and chooks and birds as well. As the second oldest in the family, I felt a keen sense of responsibility for my siblings and for my mother because we we experienced domestic violence and so often felt unsafe. And my urge to protect and care for others was definitely forged in that first family setting. I am a mother of a wonderful adult daughter who has established and is the CEO of her own boutique independent book publishing company. She writes books, publishes others' manuscripts and facilitates edited books for often new writers. The ethic of her book company is that love can be revolutionary. 
and we have a few ideas in common and um, I expect you'll recognise that influence, cross-influence with her as we go along in the, in the interview today. Being a mother of being a mother and being a social worker is how I would define myself. And alongside that, as a citizen, I'm deeply aware of our whole planet and the issues of sustainability and justice and issues caused by lovelessness of other people, non-human animals and nature. In a nutshell, exploring the love ethic has become my life journey and work, as Andrew said in his introduction. There were three main touch points where this idea really came alive for me and I've continued to craft it from the earliest point. The first touch point was a, a gift actually from a social work student at Edith Cowan University in the late 1990s when she handed me a book by Bell Hooks. The book was called Teaching to Transgress, Education as the Practice for Freedom. Um, and if you don't know about Bell Hooks and her work, please, please Google her um, and that book will be one of many, many scores of books she's written in her lifetime. Bell Hooks is, um, until re was until recently an activist and author, and she died just before Christmas. Her writing about love as an antidote to all forms of oppression transformed how I thought and subsequently practiced social work and lived my life. Love was a word that encapsulated what I wanted to be about and known for. Yet it was nowhere in the social work literature, discourses or curriculum my doctorate focused on exploring the place of love in social work education soon afterwards in the early 2000s. So right from a very early point, I was grappling with what does love mean in social work? One of the big influences in how I developed this idea of love further to how Bell Hooks talked about it was my work with a little community in Western Australia called Yarloop. Uh, which was being heavily impacted by an alumina mining company in close proximity to its township. Here in this work uh, with some of the eco-activists, as I call them, over a 20-year period, um, I've developed this notion of, eco, of an eco-justice ethic, uh, which links human and species and environmental justice as interconnected aspects that all need considering together. So that came out of the work um, with Yarloop and seeing the intersecting issues really uh, writ large in that little community. So there's the love, love ethic that influenced what I did there. Uh, there is the eco-justice ethic that came out of my work in that small community. And then in the um, late 2000s, that's through to about mid, uh, about 2014, I was working with the mental health services on the Sunshine Coast and came to what I would consider um, another key touch point in the development of an ethic of love where I recognise the importance of non-violence ethic, um, partly because of all the coercion and concern I had um, around how patients and clients are being treated, often in very um, violent and punitive ways. So I have done some writing about that and that's now informing and developing um, my ideas of how I teach and engage students in undergrad and postgrad social work courses at USC, you know, University of the Sunshine Coast, and build a model called the Love Ethic Model, which, you know, at the current time I'm trying to see what students think about it, see if, it think, if they think it's helpful in their practice. So it's very exciting, very dynamic. Um, and just this week a student told me she applied for a job and explicitly stated that her anti-oppressive ideas centred on the Love Ethic and she got the job and was so amazed about that. <laughs> um, 
these careers threads that I've mentioned and the three key influences in how I've developed these ideas from Bell Hawks um, initially, these career threads cohere into a refinement of her ideas um, of what the love ethic is um, and has these three aspects of um, ethic of love, ethic of nonviolence and ethic of eco-justice. Just might be enough for me for now. I don't go away, as they say, because I'm, I'm going to be calling upon you very soon to drill down even further. But thank you very much, Deanne, for that uh, very uh, extensive coverage of your early influences run, running right away up to the contemporary situation you find yourself in. But let's extend on that, you know, very interesting personal professional history uh, a little bit now and drill down further into this whole idea of the use of love. Uh, widen the focus a little, ask you to spell out some of your views in more detail on how the use of love and a love ethic fits within contemporary eco-social work practice. You've started talking about that, but a bit more specific uh, detail on that, if that's okay to ask you for. Like, isn't, isn't this a big topic, Andrew? And I think, oh my gosh, <laughs> in preparing, I thought I would be able to be succinct and I'm going to try to be and hopefully inspiring anyone where this is this is new material. Um, so Eco-social work's been around at least on the fringes of publications and conversations in social work for some decades. So this is not a new idea. I think what I'm trying to do, um, along with colleagues um, such as Naomi Godding, is um, think about how to enrich and enliven um, what eco-social work looks like. And for me, what I was saying just a moment ago is that I think we need to move away from the anthropocentric bias of social work, and eco-social work is really valuable for that. So the anthropocentric bias is the focus on people, human beings, um, and we understand why that is so, and we understand why social justice, therefore, is one of the big values for social work as a profession, not only in Australia but internationally. But it's not enough. It's not enough because it doesn't actively include Mother Nature um, and non-human animals as beings and entities of equal human worth. And if social work as a profession doesn't embrace and regard all aspects of what matters on this planet, then we're missing opportunities to make a more comprehensive contribution. So it practices, so eco-social work for me practices from an ecological justice or what I call an eco-justice point of view, which addresses intersectionality of issues of power and inequality, both interpersonally, locally and globally, issues sometimes referred to as wicked problems such as climate change um, and what, what a vegan activist writer called Alga 2020 calls the animal industrial complex, which isn't usually named as a wicked problem, but this is the use and consumption of especially farm animals for human needs and the extent of violence um, toward the animals and, and the impact on the environment of this mass production of animals in the for the human consumption. So really, th these are wicked problems. There are no immediate answers. In Australia, for example, only 1.5% of the population are vegan. So it is mainstream to eat animals as one very provocative example. Um, and to try to have a conversation with people about that is not straightforward. And as one little example, to come into any conversation that might be possible around the oppression of farm animals needs to be done with a loving kindness toward people who may not be vegan. 
otherwise we're positioning people as bad and wrong and that that can be affronting and hurtful to people. So the love ethic really does challenge how to even begin us in, to think about how do we even begin conversations about things that matter to engage the people we want to influence and stand with to find the ways forward. So some, some of the most influential people in this social work um, who I've, I've gained some ideas from about what eco-social work can be about are people like Boetto, 2019, and she says that eco-social work has these kind of characteristics. I'll just give some examples. It involves um, community development skills. It's, it's concerned with sustainability and degrowth. Um, it, it spans changes at the micro and through to the macro level. It's really good at working with differences and embracing, especially embracing interconnectedness between humans and the natural world. It centres learning from minority um, groups, especially First Nation people, and I would add learning from animals and Mother Nature and so on. So it's a really multifaceted collection of values and characteristics that I think extend what is typically seen as important to social work. Um, so when, just to make a, a connection, it's interesting how language can begin to be the point of change for acknowledging eco-social work as needing to be central to social work's mandate as a profession. Um, for many decades now, it's been recognised that a long-standing descriptor of social work is that it focuses on the person in the environment, um, the person in their environment. Um, and this is typically interpreted as a person's situation or their milieu, but it's not really that big a shift in language even, especially for environment to mean nature and local ecosystems of which people are a part. So I find that really a possibility for how change can begin to happen and how we use our language and who we consider as worthy of our social work's attention and care. It, it is a concern to me that the ASW's new, relatively new code of ethics of 2020 does not substantially speak about the environment and makes no mention of non-human animals as worthy of our attention. So I think that's something we come back to, Andrew. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. It's, there's something about the pace of change, isn't there? I mean, given the absolute urgency of the need outside of social work in, in society more generally to crack on with key challenges like climate disruption, you know, global heating, climate disruption, biodiversity loss, the degradation and damage to the natural world. I mean, I mean that work that you cited before that's often um, credited to people like Kim Zapf, you know, the Canadian uh, social worker, uh, people as place that changed the metaphor. That, that was over 10 years ago mm -hmm. he was writing about that. And you just wonder, I mean, this is just a rhetorical sort of um, premise, you know, in a sense, a question, but you wonder how long it's going to take to get some of those formative ideas into the mainstream uh, where it really matters. But look, um, you've set up very nicely there some of the background uh, principles and some of the key uh, thinkers in the field, uh, eco-social work, and, you know, linking over to your particular interest within eco-social work practice of the love ethic. And look, so just talk about even more specifically, how can a love ethic specifically, you know, used within eco-social work approaches help tackle the current destruction of nature and other ecological sustainability concerns we face, such as climate disruption? I know that's a huge question and we have limited time, but whatever you want to make of that. It is an enormous question, and I'm, I'm sure we're not alone in pondering that. 
Um, I, you know, I think the way we go about trying to respond to those questions is more important than what we think, that whatever the goals are, um, uh, so that if we tread lightly on Mother Earth and if we listen carefully to people who don't typically have a voice um, and be willing to be influenced by them, if we reduce consumption, if we cap wells, <laughs> um, if we share equally the resources within a, a nation and across nations, including things like COVID vaccines. Like the answers are really obvious, um, aren't they? Even though there might still be some debates about things like does climate change really exist? I, I think we're really moving past that as a debate. Well, you'd like to think so. So like the... I think it's the way we go about it. So antagonistic po uh, politics is not helpful. Op any oppositional um, confronting and um, monologue-based approaches are not helpful. We need to be looking to stand with, listen to, uh, stand beside and work with anyone who is trying to lead in that space, whatever form that takes. Um, and so being allies might be all we can do sometimes um, if we're not directly being a leader in the space ourselves. And that, that really matters. Um, so one of the examples I thought might be helpful, um, which speaks to what I'm how I'm trying to enact that at the moment, which not surprisingly is through my writing and teaching, um, is that in, in my, my place where I'm, I'm working at the moment, uh, there, there are, is no dedication in the curriculum except where I teach in, in the subjects um, to talk about eco-social work and expand on what is the concern of social work um, and how to do it. But at least there in those spaces, um, in an accredited social work program, we have these ideas being talked about and students being assessed for grappling with the ideas. And as we saw before, students already started to integrate ideas of love and nonviolence into how they represent themselves going forward into the workplace. So the example um, that I wanted to talk about is how I'm doing that in the social work curriculum, specifically by just bringing the ideas in, doing my own writing, sharing my writing with people, encouraging people to talk about their appreciation of nature and animals. Um, and this is kind of moving us from what is recognised as typically a sociological imagination has a really key capacity for social workers into an ecological imagination capacity. This is Thomas Shaw 2014's idea. Um, and, and so what I'm hoping is that, that, that getting familiar and hearing the words, um, doing some assessment around it um, and starting to think a little bit broader in what social work is will open up the opportunities for students when they ask as graduates what's happening to this person or what's happening to this community, they might then add a little bit more and what's happening to the local ecosystem and what's happening to the animals. And this will simultaneously start the recognition all and at least resist um, at, at least resist um, the movement toward or the, the anthropocentric anthropocentric nature of social work um, and I just see real parallels here also with what the work that social work which is predominantly a white profession in Australia needs to do around decolonizing um, ourselves uh, around issues of race so I think I think there are some really deep set mainstream values that get reflected in social work's code of ethics 
and in curriculum, but the, the change is happening. And you know, social students at USC are learning about eco-social work and love as part of what they need to carry forward when they graduate. So it's something, and if we all do a little bit, um, it's really important. So perhaps that's enough for now. I'm not sure if I've done a justice to that big question, though. Yeah, no. Well, we we've nibbled at it. I mean, it would it would take it would take several podcasts, uh, probably a whole series, to answer it effectively. But no, I think that's very inspiring, you know, and uplifting. You know, we do what we can, and come at come at it from um, different angles. So, um, thank you for that. And uh, let's just move on. I suppose stay with, you know, this whole question around the rationale of uh, why social work needs to be involved in eco-social work approaches using the love ethic or you know other sort of um, I suppose approaches within eco-social work turn I ask this sort of rhetorical question um, provocative question in the best sense of the word just as a, another way a, a way of actually approaching the the importance of why eco-social work and love ethic needs to be incorporated into the profession but this is this the so what so the so what question uh, and you, you've already started answering this, but uh, let's just um, put it to you. Question three, why should the mainstream social work profession be involved with the use of a love ethic and the eco-social work concerns or the eco-social concerns we've been discussing so far? What's it, why should it bother? Yeah, like it seems like a strange question to be asking. Um, I think our integrity and our relevance as a profession so it's about ethics, <laughs> it's about our integrity and relevance as a profession for helping to find a way forward through the wicked problems of this time. Um, so because we're a profession that explicitly stands on social justice goals and principles, and have we've therefore got already got a really developed ethical sensibility about matters of fairness and how oppression undermines not only fairness but well-being and sustainability. Not that sustainability is a familiar word in social work, but it, it really does fit well ethically, I believe. The ethical shift can start with a change of language. Um, and I was flagging this before. Um, and people like Ryan, 2011, writes um, in his book, um, that he actually has an appendix at the end of his book that shows how the code of ethics can be written slightly differently to become inclusive of other beings. And so what he does is he, so he, he identifies the word individual as referring to humans and non-humans and nature. So for every value and principle that he identifies, um, he, he, just, he just places this sense of it referring to all who may be relevant for. And, and I think that is not a hard ethical shift, intellectual shift or emotional shift for people. And I think it's already, I think people already in their practice have at least a background awareness of the impact of an under-resourced community on what's happening with the family that they're working with or what's happening to the pets in the family when a family is really poor and struggling to feed their children. I think it's already, it's just within our fingertips <laughs> and just within, yeah, a moment's extra thought in a situation to include those concerns in our, our family assessments and forward plans with whomever we're working with. So, so it's, it's, it's close to already being at a change point. Um, and we're located in so many places and with so many types of situations and 
people and animals and nature, that we already align, I think, ethically with the environment movement, animal liberation struggles, and all types of social justice. Um, so uh, once our language is more inclusive, we'll see ways to be of service in a multi-dimensional way, no matter where we work. And, and so I think it is something that is doable, and I think it will be a revolutionary shift in social work that we can't afford ethically to not, not grab. The moment is now. <laughs> if social work really wants to be relevant to the big issues of our time, um, especially in the sustainable development goals, um, which you know we, we hardly figure as a, as a professional group as having something to contribute there. Well, thank you, Deanne, for giving such an uncompromising answer to that perhaps obvious but nonetheless relevant question, which I, at present it seems that we need to keep on asking and answering. But thank you again. And, and now as we move through towards the end of this interview, I want to shift the focus toward the future. Of course, we, we can't predict the future with total accuracy, but we can certainly envision a preferred future. And I ask each of my guests around about this point in the interview to offer some suggestions on what such a preferred future could or should hold for eco-social work practice from their perspective. So the, the specific question becomes, what could or should the short to midterm future, say the next two to 10 years, hold for eco-social work interventions, including the use of a love ethic within mainstream Australian social work practice? All right, there we go. These are just such big questions. Hey, um, and uh, thank you so much for asking that. Um, so what, what the first thing, which isn't what I was prepared really to say, is that I think we need to think of ourselves not as social workers, and this is what I'm really trying to grapple with, but as a citizen on the planet because it gives us this belonging space that is multidimensional, whereas sitting within a particular role or identity is not as more, perhaps as multidimensional. So as the citizen of the planet, um, who is a social worker, and the social worker who then tacks on being a citizen, um, I, I'm just so glad to nevertheless be standing within the social work profession and contributing in little ways that I can to making eco-social work the main mindset and ethical sensibility whenever we think of social work then I think we can truly make incredible contributions. Look, really just to be much more micro level, because I think, as I said before, how we step and what we do and how the process of how we are eco-social workers or make a contribution ecologically really matters. Um, and I'm not alone in, in this work. So right down at that micro level of practice, what can mainstream, the mainstream profession do in the next five to 10 years and what, am, what can I help influence around that? So I really would like to lobby further the ASW on its code of ethics. I think it needs to be revised. I know that's going to be a hard call given they have recently done it. It needs to be explicitly inclusive of nature and non-human animals as being um, as beings of equal moral worth, we actually just need to reposition our ethical uh, lighthouse, I think, as a profession. Um, and then when we're all beings and entities of equal moral worth, including, including here, not only um, sentient beings, but non-sentient beings as well, then, then all beings, all ent entities will be worthy of social work's attention. Um, but I think 
given that the code of ethics maybe won't change in the short term, I think I can maybe look to make an influence um, on, the, on the ASW's website um, and having more inclusive ideas and resources and professional education opportunities on the website. So that's one of my commitments around that. Um, Social workers who are passionate and about the potentially revolutionary ethics that we've been talking about and ideas of eco-social order, we need to practice what we preach. We need to share our ideas and seek out interested audiences um, as a co-learning opportunity, not only in academia, but when, when social workers graduate, but for citizens, other citizens as well. And in this regard, my particular point of learning at the moment and uh, is to seek honourable and authentic relationships with First Nation people from the Gubby Gubby um, community where I live uh, and to learn with them um, and, and from them their understanding of how they connect with and communicate to country and to nature to all that is because I think within those understandings and those valuings there, there is much that we can learn as social workers if we just keep listening and learning in non-exploitative ways with First Nation people. The other contribution I can make from where I am um, is to keep contributing to research and the evidence base for what eco-social work is and placing a lot of non-violence and eco-justice within that. So, for example, I realised, given that that was a goal of mine, I realised that I haven't explicitly published anything that clearly links love and social work in the heading of the publication. It's all through my writing, but not in an explicit way. So I'm about to have published a very exciting article that talks about Bell Hooks's legacy. Of course, it's such an obvious paper when you think about it. Um, um, and her legacy and what it means uh, of love and what it means for social work. And that's the first of several papers I'm going to write that place love, eco-justice and non-violence right there in the middle of discourses and publications about social work. The other thing I'm really inter interested in doing in terms of enabling um, the bringing of eco-social work into mainstream social work is uh, within my workplace at USC to set up a research group and to more explicitly offer to um, be a, a high degree supervisor for anyone who wants to do any research in the area of love and social work. What is really interesting to me about that is I think for people to know what that's about, I need to talk about issues of violence. For example, I need to talk about interpersonal violence um, to be researched to show the potentiality of love to respond to interpersonal violence. So just how to how to begin the conversation to be recognised for what that area of scholarship can contribute to the wicked problems of the world, especially interpersonal and interspecies violence and environmental degradation is part of what I'm trying to figure at the moment. And I do take lots of inspiration from people like um, Gordon, who I've mentioned before, who's done some really beautiful work, and I believe you've had her in your podcast series already, um, of really thinking through and acting with this idea of love, ethic of love, and what it means from an eco-justice point of view. So I really am inspired by her work. So, so seeking people out and that you sought me out, we're having this conversation, all of this kind of bodes well for me um, in terms of what social work will look like in five to ten years' time. And trying to summarise that would be impossible, but, you know, one, just one theme, one theme I take out of that is uh, 
is the need for the profession to expand its scope in general terms. I mean, whether that be around its ethical scope, whether that be around, you know, its incorporation of First Nations insights, culture and, and aspects, whether that be, you didn't actually specifically say multidisciplinary collaboration, but I think that seems to be the counterpart of tackling complex, wicked, interrelated problems. We need a, a multidisciplinary perspective onto these issues and we need to collaborate with allied and aligned fields. Interestingly, several previous guests in this podcast series have pointed to the importance for social work as a profession to be more widely engaged with other professional fields, to have a, a seat at the multi or interdisciplinary table, as it were. Personally, I, I find it fascinating to see how other disciplines and professional fields frame some of the challenges we're dealing with for social workers and the potential solutions they may be able to offer. My particular interest has been with the fields of psychology and philosophy in recent years. And I must say, as I've encountered the love ethic framework very recently indeed for me, there are identifiable elements coming, at least from, in my view, from humanist traditions, the philosophy of human relationships and deep ecology amongst other areas of inquiry. That love ethic concept of lovelessness you've mentioned is a case in point for me. To my mind, it has considerable resonance with recent ideas coming out of psychoanalytic research, where concepts such as the culture of uncare and disavowal are being put forward to help explain possible psychological mechanisms underlying the climate crisis and possible ways to overcome such mental and behavioural drivers of that problem. So in the interest of supporting that valuation of an interdisciplinary stance within eco-social work practice, I'll include some links to a few of those psychology research uh, resources which have interested me during the last few years. And after that little side trip down interdisciplinary alley, let's come back to you, Deanne. That's a nice that's a nice cross connection. There's a really nice one as well that I am fostering at the moment with biologists and chemists of all people. And they're looking at seaweed and how to use seaweed, find out what types of seaweed uh, will absorb pollution from the runoff from um, sewage treatment plants in the Moreton Bay area, which is you know adjacent to Brisbane City here in Queensland, to to um, yeah to look at the pollution that's causing major issues in Moreton Bay and how certain seaweed can be cultivated to absorb that. Isn't that interesting? I think, well, who would have thought that I would have something in common with biologists and chemists? But absolutely, this is about sustainability of major polluting yeah, industries that we're all rather dependent on in Australia. What a lovely example of the value of interdisciplinary collaboration that we've just been talking about. You know, as per some of those authors that you quoted earlier in the um, interview, Heather Boato's work um, and others pointing to some of the principles of eco-social work turn, which is holism and interdependence. Mm -hmm. There's nothing um, unusual about this at all. It's the sort of bread and butter that we should be getting our hands on as, as social workers in this new uh, expanded remit that we're talking yeah. about here. Absolutely. Well, look, Dan. look, coming to the end of this really uh, fantastic interview and uh, conversation about eco-social work and the love ethic term within it, um, based on that idea that people tend to remember the first and last things they tend that they actually hear in a presentation, uh, you know, sort of a memory sort of starts to fade, doesn't it, at whatever age. <laughs> but um, so could you, this is the sort of take-home message question here, you know, could you just summarise uh, for the dear listeners in uh, podcast land or cyberspace, um, some of the actual key themes that you've um, been talking about today, or just you know, a take-home message, a couple of sentences, or a, a, con a key concept you think 
help would help sort of them bracket these ideas and take them away to digest after the um after finishing the podcast my my yes and um, i'm really aware that all sorts of different types of people are listening to this and you know it's really grand to have this space to to reach out to people i was listening to how you were saying that and i think gosh i think love matters I know love matters uh, through my life. I've seen it matter in all sorts of ways with all sorts of people and animals and nature. It is healing. It is sustaining. It is life-giving. Um, and if if justice matters to us all, and I believe it does, then love needs to matter as well. What we mean by love can be whatever we all seek to mean by it. And really, so what I think, how, like in a complex situation, that these words matter to us at an individual embodied, situated level as people, individual people, individual bodies, um, in a bigger social and ecological context, is is what we can reference back to. You know, does love matter to me? Yes. Does justice matter to me? What does it look like to me? Am I am I returning back to the world the love and justice I wish to be treated with? You know, so this idea that our micro everyday actions and the ideas that influence our actions really matter, really, really matter, um, especially when wars happening on the planet. We need to be more loving, more nonviolent, more just in the interactions we have with people so we don't add to a increasing um, energy of violence across the planet. So the idea that I like that challenges me every day is is that willingness on my part to keep learning and pivoting this idea of pivoting from whenever I'm unloving or un, uncaring and un, unjust toward someone or something to pivot back towards love nonviolence and justice in its various forms and to not then um, be hard on myself but to take responsibility for my actions and place in the world um, so that I am lining up with all the millions of other people who are doing exactly the same thing. And so the cumulative effect is more loving, kind, just actions from more people, and that will matter in so many ways we can't imagine it. Yeah. So that's what I would say. Right, fantastic place to live. I mean, I mean look, it, I, I, part of me is tempted to, you know, not make a trivial comment here, but also, you know, just thinking about some old songs, the Beatles song, All You Need Is Love, you know, which would which would not be doing justice to what you said. But I mean, because what you're talking about, but seriously, is some of the absolutely fundamental principles to living a good life, uh, a fair, just, compassionate life for ourselves, our clients, our societies, and by societies, I'm also including human. I'm including both humans and, and other than humans in in terms of that idea of extending the scope. Seems that you know love is has that capacity. And I, I remember you know looking at some of the graphics in your book. You know the cycles, um, the holistic interrelated cycles. You know it just almost lends itself uh, love and compassion to that. You know there's something spherical about it. I don't know. It's coming to me as a sort of as a sense. But anyway, look to round off this brilliant interview. Uh, thank you so much for your time today. It just remain, remains for me on behalf of the auspicing organisation Householders Options to Protect the Environment to thank you so much. You've given our audience some great ideas which could help inform their own thinking and help them start further conversations on the subject of those elements of a love ethic, ethic of love, ethic of non-violence and ethic of eco-justice to use those ideas 
within eco-social work adoption and talk about them with their friends, colleagues, within employing organisations or professional associations. So thank you one last time, Deanne. Thank you. And, and to acknowledge you as well, Andrew, because you are also contributing to this collective yeah, movement toward a more loving, sustainable planet. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast episode in the series Eco-Social Work in Australia, produced for Householders' Options to Protect the Environment. Please consult the episode text notes for possible references to topics discussed and relevant contact details should you wish to respond to anything you've heard. My name is Andrew Nicholson, producer of the series, and thank you for listening. Please consider giving a review of the episode, and if you want to be interviewed for the series, please get in touch 